Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Mary Simon, and I'm joined today by Elizabeth McNulty, Megan Crow, and Liz Lenevy. Today, I'm bringing something to the podcast because I'm not really sure what to do with it. So that's what I do when I'm struggling with something at work. Uh, we talk about it on the podcast. So something I have experienced and I'm trying to figure out a way to approach it better as I continue to practice how to engage in conversations with giving and receiving feedback. And, you know, it goes both ways. All of us are in positions where we are bouncing ideas off of each other. I think we all do that regularly. And I've just noticed when I leave those conversations, when I'm feeling more kind of like encouraged and motivated to go you know, continue on whatever issue it is in a case that I'm working on. And when those conversations end and, you know, alternatively, I'm feeling a little bit deflated. So something I really don't like to hear when I pick up the phone and call another attorney and say, hey, what do you think about this? If the first thing they say is, how do you not know this yet? It kind of caught me off guard the last time that it happened. I knew in my head, who's ever talking on the other end of this line, it ain't about me, that sort of reaction. It has nothing to do with me, obviously. Second, do I want to spend another minute in a conversation with this person or should I just quickly get off the line and go elsewhere with this question? Have you all ever experienced that? I've definitely, maybe not in as harsh a words as why don't you know this yet, but I've definitely asked questions and then made to feel like I should have already known that or like that's kind of a silly question or that's a dumb question or maybe not in such harsh terms, but I've definitely been made to feel that way. Really, like it sort of knocks at your self-confidence. So I don't think I've ever had an experience quite like what you're describing, Mary, but I am reminded of a story that still makes my skin crawl to this day. It was my very first time picking a jury, and I think I had been out of law school for maybe a year, and I was trying to get the experience of doing the voir dire myself, and it wasn't going great. Admittedly, I was brand new at this, and the judge at one point called us up to the bench and basically began criticizing my style of picking a jury and saying, he said something along the lines of, you know, I really expected more from this caliber of attorneys. Goodness. And I really wanted to respond, I don't know what caliber you think I am. I'm doing this for the first time. <laughs> right. You're watching a newbie, Judge. But, you know, I took that and I just said, okay, I'm just going to get through this. I just got to power through. That was an awful experience. That was definitely not constructive criticism. That was not constructive feedback. But that's also the only time I've ever been in front of that judge. I think that the situation you're describing, Mary, is more oftentimes when this is someone you have to go back to. This is someone you have an ongoing relationship with. And I'll say I have not had that exact situation where you've gone to someone and said, hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. What do you think? And their response was, well, why would you do that that way? Or why don't you know this? Or why would you think that's a good idea? I've had sort of an opposite response. And this is not at Simon. But at the previous firm that I worked at, I've had the experience where I didn't feel like I was given much guidance. I did something because I was a brand new attorney and I didn't know any better and I thought I was making the right decision. It was not the right decision. And then I got criticized for doing it the way that I had done it, even though the resources weren't there for me to go and try to get that mentoring and I could get that advice prior to screwing up. 
but similar reaction to, well, now I just don't want to go back to you for anything. Now I'm just scared to talk to you about anything. It wasn't helpful. It just made me more scared to screw up in the future or to go back to that person for any type of advice. Yeah, it's always interesting to me, you know, whether it's a judge or opposing counsel, colleagues saying something like, why don't you know this yet? Or why do you want to know? Why would you be asking this type of question? Part of me, even as you were speaking, Liz, I thought of other circumstances where I have received similar feedback. And one thing you said is you then feel, Megan, you said it's a knock on your confidence. Liz, you said it makes you not want to go back to that person. It's important to recognize that that instills a sense of a lack of self-confidence and fear in someone who's supposed to be doing a really good job. So I think it's important to be careful about the words that you choose. This has happened to me, and I think it always says more about how that person's day is going rather than like how they feel about you or anything like that. It's taken me some years, but I've learned that, you know, I can't control what that person's saying to me or, you know, their attitude towards me, but I can't control how it makes me feel. And it's really important to not internalize that and let it get to you because they're just people in the world sometimes that like they don't have of like tact. So they just don't say things very gently. Right. And so it just kind of get to the meat of whatever it is they're telling you and ignore because like it doesn't really matter if you don't already know this or like what you just want to know the feedback. Yeah. Just tell me like let's get to the point because like we're wasting everyone's time and that's something that you know we don't have a lot of here. So it just kind of like noise to me and you can't let it like eat at you or like being your confidence because I mean like people that do that like they still work with you and respect you. They're probably just like having an off day and like no one remembers like when exactly they learn stuff. So it's just kind of like an ignorant comment, I think. The last time that that happened when I asked for, hey, what do you think about this? And God, how do you not know this yet? Or whatever the comment was, I was able to pretty quickly say, you know what, let's pick this up later. And I just said, I got to go and hung up the phone because I just knew I could feel it getting to me. And I knew if it was getting to me, there was not going to be any progress made. So I just quickly got out of that. And another avenue I think is helpful or has been helpful to me and for anyone who's been in this position before, I have actually said before, it's helpful to say some iteration of, whoa, that really caught me off guard. It just kind of disarms the situation a little bit. So if you're saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you think? And the response is, how do you not know this yet? Or I don't think you really get what you're doing. I will actually say something like, whoa, I'm really surprised to hear that response given my question that caught me off guard. And just see what the other person says, because it takes the heat out a little bit and then kind of gives it an opportunity to just get to the point. Have you ever tried, well, I've never done this before and I thought you had, so you'd be a good source of information. But if you don't want to have this conversation, I'll find someone else to talk to. Yes. Or, well, I wouldn't be asking right now if I knew, you know, <laughs> which is the most <laughs> obvious thing to say. But I I have said that before. And then, you know, to Elizabeth's point, we're just talking about nothing then in a conversation and there's no point. Sometimes it could also be helpful, or I know I've said this before, and maybe I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, or if it's neutral, but I will almost downplay, like, I know it's kind of crazy, I haven't had to run into this situation yet, but I haven't. 
Genius. <laughs> That's a good way of giving them an answer, but maybe not sounding quite maybe as snarky as my response. <laughs> well, I also think it's more savvy because you know what they're saying in that reaction is a little bit of BS. So to move past it, you're just kind of being like, I know, I didn't know, but you probably know. So why don't you tell me? It's kind of like a weird reverse psychology type thing that can get, at least that's how I view it, but it gets you to where you need to be, which is great. I think part of the reason that receiving a response like that is so jarring is because I am pretty confident when I say, I think all of us in this room are cognizant about the way we answer questions and we're cognizant about being understanding, starting off saying, that's a great question. But I think we're cognizant of how we talk to other people. And so receiving something that we wouldn't say can be particularly jarring. Mary, you actually sort of brought this topic up to us in an email a few days ago. And I was thinking about it actually later that day, I was prepping some clients for a mediation and they've never had a lawsuit before. They have no idea what mediation is. And there's a lot of things that I was explaining to them that after your email, I was like, I'm probably going to say a lot of words that they don't know. And I don't want them to feel stupid for asking. So that conversation, I think, was extra productive because I went out of my way several times to say, I know I just said a lot of things that are probably super unfamiliar. What questions do you have for me? And I took it really slow and I tried to put myself in their shoes more of, okay, They're probably going to have questions that may seem really basic to me, but are important to them. And also something that I noticed about your email when you were sort of explaining this idea, you put good examples and bad examples, things I like to hear when asking a question and things I don't like to hear. And there is one very prevalent common thing between the things that you do like and the things that you don't like, things that you do like to hear. I have experienced this. I usually this. I suggest this. Bad things. You don't know. You don't get it. What don't you understand? The good things all have the word I in them and bad ones all have the word you in them. Instead of like making it sort of on the person and making them feel bad about it, it's like, oh, let me relate to you and put myself in your position and think back to when I was at your stage in your career and let's have a conversation and relate to each other a little bit more. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to notice about the examples that you provided at least. Yeah, I don't know. It is kind of interesting. I just it's always helpful to me. And I don't know if it's, you know, also maybe years of therapy, but functioning in I statements is always more beneficial because it's not a comment on the other. I've had law clerks ask me questions and say, do you want this or do you want this? And I can never imagine saying, how do you not know this yet? But to keep it as I usually do this, I do this. I speak that way because that's how I want to be spoken to, to your point, Elizabeth. It's like when someone speaks to you in a way that you're not used to talking to others that way, it's a little bit jarring. It's important to be cognizant of that. I also think it's important if you consider yourself a leader in your firm or if you are someone who's higher up and you are responsible for younger attorneys or for a paralegal or for a law clerk, how you're speaking to them, because ultimately that is going to be not just a reflection on their work, but also a reflection on your ability to be a leader, to be a mentor, and then also, I think, to keep people around. We talk about this sometimes, the massive amount of turnover that happens And I think the number one reason that people leave firms is because they don't feel appreciated and they don't feel respected. 
And obviously, you know, money is definitely (laughs) something to discuss there. But I don't think it can be understated how important the environment is that you're fostering. And if some of the experiences I had prior to coming to Simon, it was not a good environment. I did not feel supported. I did not feel like I could go. And that's not to say everyone. There were tons of attorneys at that firm that I did feel comfortable going to. And I found myself going to them instead of these other individuals who made it sound like they did not have the time for me, which I get it. We're all busy. We all have a lot on our plate. We're always doing a lot of things. But I think if you're going to, you know, take all of the privilege that comes with being a firm leader, you have to take the responsibilities. And that includes training and teaching the younger attorneys and the younger staff members about what it is that you want done and how you want it done, but doing it in a way that is not that makes them feel stupid and that makes them feel like, I don't want to be here. You shouldn't be miserable at work. And this work is already hard enough. So why would you make that job that much harder for the people that do work for you, whether it's a paralegal or a younger attorney or whoever? So that's how I've always looked at it of what kind of leader do I want to be? And that's the mindset I put myself into whenever I'm having a conversation. And I start many conversations with law clerks or with my paralegal or if a younger attorney comes to me of, yeah, I remember the first time I had to do that. And let me tell you about what I learned or let me tell you about the pitfalls that I ran into so that you can avoid them. And I hope that after leaving this conversation, you feel that I'm someone you can trust and that I'm someone you can work with and you feel that this is an environment that you like. And I think about, you know, just a few weeks ago, I had a former law clerk. He's not a law clerk here anymore. He works at a different firm, but he had a question and he reached out to me about it instead of going to his own attorney about it. Yeah, that speaks volumes. And I wondered, and I sat there and I'm like, this is so random. You'd call me in the middle of the day to ask this question. But also I thought about it as a reflection of whatever his experience was with me when he worked underneath me. Clearly, I did something right as a mentor for him that he felt comfortable coming back to me to ask a question. And I think that in this profession, the relationships that you build and the reputation that you get is so important that you have to keep that in mind whenever you're having these discussions with people. And I certainly want my reputation to be that of someone who is helpful to other attorneys and to anyone that crosses paths with me. I don't want to be a difficult person and I don't want to be someone that people don't feel comfortable coming to. Right. And it fosters a better environment to be productive. Right. I even thought about that the other day after having one of these phone calls with the how don't you know that or whatever. I started doubting myself. How do I not know this? Okay, let me start researching this. But I didn't even know if that was the thing that I needed to start my research with. Like I wanted some guidance on where to go. And of course, I could just start cold and figure it out myself. I know I can. But is it the most efficient than calling somebody else who can tell me, start here, and then I can pick it up? Another thing to add to this as a mentor, I serve in roles in both. There are people I do more work for. And then there are also clerks who are doing work on my cases. And in both of those, whether you're the person giving advice or receiving advice or feedback, saying I don't know is actually pretty powerful. Now it goes back to the, oh, no, is that vulnerable? Oh, shoot. Like, I know we've talked about that before on the podcast, but saying I don't know is also perfectly fine to say. And I have asked various attorneys in this office many different types of questions, some who've been practicing two years more than me, some who've been practicing 30 years longer than me. And they have said, I don't know, in response to one of my questions. 
And I just say, oh, okay. And then I just move on to figure it out. And I think that's also a sign of great leadership. You know, I think another thing, even as this conversation has unfolded, what would prompt me to say something like, how do you not know this yet? Part of me thinks it'd be like some weird insecurity that I don't know it. And I'm not able to give an answer as quickly as I want to, to someone who's asking me. That could also play a part in it. It's harder on your ego to say, I don't know, but it will foster a better long-term productive relationship with the person you're working with. So it helps me learn not only where to go to get that feedback, but it's very telling of what it could mean. That's what I thought of when I saw your list of the responses you don't like to get when you ask someone a question. I mean, those are all like deflections. And to me, it could be very well indicative of like they don't know the answer off the top of their head, but it makes them feel like less intelligent for not knowing the answer. And because I think lawyers, it's kind of like maybe an illness in our profession that we do not like to not have the answer. Right. But I think as women, we are more comfortable being like, I don't know, but I'll find out when we're asked questions like that or pointing you to someone I think would know the answer for you. I think we're a lot better at that than men are. We've been talking a lot in terms of how this giving feedback and receiving feedback or deflections or whatever you want to call it, A lot of it has been between colleagues or between, you know, opposing counsel or something like that. Another avenue that I experienced in the last year for the first time, actually, which is, you know, I think that's great. I practice in front of a lot of great judges. In this last year, I went to court on a hearing and I lost the motion and the judge said to me, once you have a little bit more experience you'll understand that these type of things can happen. I didn't know what to say, and it really irked me because it's something that I have absolutely no control over. I can't help the fact that I'm going on, I don't know, I think it's my sixth year, and my opposing counsel has probably been practicing, you know, since I was in kindergarten. I can't help that that's our experience level of difference, but I think I advocated to the absolute best of my ability and had a great argument So to hear the judge throw in extra comments on my experience level and reminding me that these things happen felt a little bit off-putting. And I just, in those moments, I always stay very respectful. And I just said, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, judge. That's what I said. And I grabbed the order and wrote it up as my opposing counsel and the judge are talking about, you know, the good old days where they used to hang out together. But it was hard getting feedback of, Once you have more experience, you'll learn. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And it was some type of feedback. That's what it felt like. That's why I'm, you know, kind of bringing it up now. But I I don't know what you all think. I would never suggest any response other than thank you very much, Judge, because to me, I think that's just the best. 100%. Yeah. You got to pick your audience. So if you're talking to a colleague at work, you can say something like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you think I'm an idiot. Let's move on. Of course. But obviously to a judge, you're going to be much more deferential. And I also think you describing that story, part of me feels like I am now trying to interpret what exactly he meant by that. And I assume it was a man. It was. Okay. Part of me reads into that, that he's almost trying to ease the blow a little bit. 
of like, hey, you didn't lose this because you didn't make a good argument. You lost this because this is just how we do things around here. And maybe you haven't been around long enough. Now, was it an unnecessary comment? 100%. It wasn't needed. And here's the thing, too. Mary, I've seen you argue in court before. I've seen you beat attorneys on motions who have far more experience than you, who have probably been practicing law for longer than you've been alive, and you've beat them. <laughs> so it, clearly, experience, while it's great to have, it's not the end all be all. I think in this particular situation, I really do, based on how you're describing it, I think the judge was tr maybe just trying to make you feel a little bit better about like, well, all right, it has nothing to do with me. It's just more about how things are done. This is just how we've always done things around here. Even that makes me feel a little bit better than I did when this happened. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I would think at least if it were me and like hearing that and like it hits you, like it cuts you a little bit deeper than you know that it should. And I think it's because yes. like, yeah, I need more experience. Like that's the one thing that we can't just like, no matter what we do, we can't just like have it. Right. And so it's just like that little insecurity that you have. And it, you're just like, wow, you just cut me to the core like really quickly. Right. Because it's not like from the outside looking in, it seems like a really benign comment. But I understand like. Why? It packs a punch yeah, because really it's the does. one thing. Exactly. It's like I can prepare. I can argue. I can cite the law. I can do all this. But I'm always going to have 30 years less experience <laughs> right. Right. practicing law than my opposing counsel and the judge. Yeah. So, Mary, I don't know the full like circumstances surrounding this interaction, but I know I had an experience on my first trial that I did where I was, you know, hypervigilant about preparing for certain things. And one of the things was at the pretrial conference doing motions in limine because I didn't have the experience to know what I really needed to spend my time on and what I didn't. I kind of put time into everything. And then, you know, we get up there and judge is like, I don't need to hear, you know, argument on that. And it's just, it's sort of like a, oh, I feel silly for like thinking that this was going to be a big deal and it wasn't, or I feel silly for starting to do something that I should have known that wasn't going to be necessary. And I don't know. It kind of made me feel silly or frustrated that I was inexperienced, but I also think, and maybe your experience is the same, that it reflects well on you that you were prepared and you were putting your heart into that. And maybe it wasn't the way they do things, but it still reflects well on you professionally for getting there, I think. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that is coming to mind, too, is that you said you felt silly. And I think that is why it impacted me the most is I'm just... Like, okay, I don't know what else I can possibly say to that. I think it is an incredible sign of growth in your career when you realize that this profession is just a never-ending loop of feeling silly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. It, maybe they become fewer and further between, but I know attorneys that have been doing this for a long, long, long time, and they still goof up here and there, and I'm sure that they feel silly for it. And, you know, I had a pretrial several months ago where I was by myself at this pretrial, and the other side had multiple attorneys. And the judge made some sort of comment to me about, like, oh, look, like you're all alone. You're all over there by yourself. And I also knew that he was well aware that I was not only the only solo attorney there, I was the youngest person. Oh, my God. Of all the attorneys arguing. And I took that as the judge was trying to throw me a bone, trying to show me some sympathy. And I took it as an opportunity to put on a brave face. And I made the comment, you know, something along the lines of, oh, yeah, judge, I'm over here by myself. But don't worry, I'm ready to go. Trying to signal to him, you don't have to go easy on me or you don't have to think I'm not prepared. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. I know these facts 
back and forth better than anyone else in this room because I've worked on this case since the beginning, much longer than, you know, Mr. Partner over here who hasn't taken a <laughs> right. single deposition, but he showed up to argue the pretrial. He doesn't know this case as well as I do. So let's go. And pretrial went fine. And, you know, afterwards, the judge was really nice to me and he was actually took a really weird interest in my mentorship and, you know, suggesting, you know, you should go talk to a so-and-so judge down the hallway. I think she'd be a great mentor for you. you oh, know, wow. she'd, she'd be wonderful. And so was it a bit of a weird comment a little bit? But I think in those situations, if you read into it as, OK, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, read into it that this is a positive interaction we're having. And how can I spin this to my benefit? I think that that's something that's really important to do with judges. Of course, always being deferential to the judge, but ultimately trying to think about how can I spin this to my benefit here. Right. Well, thank you all so much for this fantastic discussion. I've learned a lot about how I can better myself and the people that I work with when giving and receiving feedback. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. Our episodes drop on Wednesdays and you can reach out to us at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. See you next time. Heels in the Courtroom is brought to you by the Simon Law Firm. At the Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning. <laughs>